0: One of my friends recently told me about something she's really gotten into lately. It's called real escape rooms. You pay admission and you get led into a room and then it's up to you to find your way out. Now there are clues in the room, hints, puzzles to solve, but you have to do all of them correctly if you wanna escape the room. Now, these real escape rooms, they're popular all over the world. My friend told me that she actually played one while on holidays in Paris. We've got them in Australia, and there are more than 2,000 of them worldwide. It's a new way to play, and it's all the rage. G'day, I'm Mark Pesci. The coming next billion seconds are the most important in human history, as technology transforms the way we live, work, and play. On this series, we talk to some of the brightest minds shaping our world, charting our path as we voyage into an incredible future. In this episode, we talk to indie games pioneer Eric Zimmerman about how play has evolved and how we'll be playing in the future. The play's the thing on this episode of The Next Billion Seconds. Okay, so let's go back. Let's go all the way back. It's February 1975. I'm barely 12 years old. I'm hanging out with one of my friends. It's a Saturday. We've decided to follow his dad into the office. And his dad, as it turned out, ran the computers for a small insurance company. Now, back then, the computer had its own room. It was air-conditioned. It was fireproofed. And dad would sit in there and make backups of all the important files, as you do. We kids, we got to sit in another room in front of what looked like a big typewriter with a continuous sheet of paper fitting through it. You could type on the keyboard, it would print on the paper, what you type were commands to run computer programs. So I said to my friend, okay, what do I do here? And he leaned over my keyboard and he typed the word Star Trek and hit return. And that was pretty much it. The next five hours disappeared as I played my first computer game. It was a text-based, turn-based game, pitting my Federation starship against Klingon attackers. Now, I won a few games, but I lost most of them, and I didn't care. I was having the time of my life. That was pretty much the moment when I fell in love with computers. That was when I knew I'd found what I'd want to spend my life doing. And it all began with a game. Now, the games have gotten flashier but there's still very much the same thing underneath. And the one person who really gets that is our guest on the program. Eric Zimmerman has been designing and playing and teaching games for a quarter of a century. 15 years ago, Eric and Katie Salen wrote Rules of Play and laid out the basics of game design in such clear terms that the book became an instant classic. It's still in print because the core ideas of what makes a game that you can get lost in, they never change. And even as the games we play change, the song remains the same. Eric, welcome to The Next Billion
1: Seconds. Thank you, Mark. It's really a pleasure to be here. So we have these
0: escape room games. They're really sort of very real world. You get in there, you focus, you maybe work as a team. And we have now some of the fanciest virtual reality, immersive like computer games They create their own worlds. These are both happening at the same time. They're both really popular. What is this telling us?
1: Well, I think that your little anecdote about when you fell in love with computers, of course, because of a computer game, is an interesting moment in the history of media that's kind of an inflection point. The point at which television, or let's say the television image, becomes interactive. Right. Maybe it happened with Pong, maybe it happened with early text adventures, but there's a moment there when our when our electronic media become participatory, it's not a sort of a lean back experience no. where you are watching an image. And I've, I've heard you speak about this before yourself, Mark, but, but it becomes a lean forward. It becomes something that you participate in, that you have influence over directly as a viewer. In fact, the whole idea of a passive viewer becomes problematized. So that is... One of the significant things about video games is that they turn the video image, the motion, the moving image, uh, video, motion picture, they turn it into something that's interactive. But they certainly aren't the beginning of play. Right. Right? So we can look at a very long history of human play. There are board games that are tens of 10,000 years old or more we're talking about games from ancient sumeria the senate family from from ancient egypt north africa uh, middle east there's also uh, the Parcheesi family, the the Moncala family from Africa, go uh, you know go, from which East is 2, Asia, years right? Old. And and also very ancient Viking games, the King's game. So there's a long history of humans playing sports and and parlor games. And as you mentioned, the fundamentals of what makes a game a game, of right. why humans play, really haven't changed that much. Okay, In other what words,
0: are those fundamentals?
1: Well, games are a social. Activity, right. right? They're a chance for us to be with other people. And like many other forms of media, an art, entertainment, popular culture, it creates a kind of artificial world. But the artificial world of games, for example, might be that, you know, we're not friends, we're enemies. Right. So I want to knock you out. Uh, if it's a fighting game, or maybe I really want to knock you out if we're in a boxing ring, right? Or maybe I just want to checkmate you right. if it's chess, right?
0: Or I want to bankrupt you if it's monopoly, right? Things exactly.
1: Like that. So, so, and these there can be narrative play, social play, physical play. Um, it, it's problem solving, but I think what's interesting about all of these contexts is that games, from their very ancient forms, in a sense, were anticipating computers. So that chess seen from a certain point of view is kind of like a state machine. It's like some kind of very elaborate calculator or or Because
0: when all the pieces are on the board, there's only so many ways they can move, right? right? right. Every time you make a move, there's only so many moves you can do from that point. It's
1: digital in the sense that it doesn't matter if this pawn is slightly to the left or slightly to the right, it's in this square, and that's its significance. It's the the chessboard points to a kind of an abstract set of mathematical relationships. And what does it mean to play this game? What does it mean for you and I to play chess with each other we are sort of pulling and pushing at the interactions and outputs of this system, right? It's sort of like an adult busy box. We're seeing what happens when we try this out. Can I bluff you here? Am I misunderstanding the rules? Is this a good strategy? Is this a bad strategy? I just have to do it and see how it plays out. So this idea that our media or our cultural experiences can be participatory is ancient. However- the rise of digital technology has given these experiences sort of a new prominence in our culture and I would argue that that games and participatory media or things that are like games are going to be the defining culture of the 21st century. You probably wouldn't argue with me very much about that.
0: Well, I don't know if I'd argue with you, but I'd ask you to explain for everyone listening why is that going to be the case. So are we moving into a future where it's, I guess, dominated by our play activities rather than our work activities? Is that what you're saying? Well,
1: that would be more of a stretch. Maybe you could argue that, but let's start somewhere smaller. Okay. I would say that if we were gonna do a, a, a gross historical generalization, you could say that the 20th century was defined in a lot of ways by the moving image. Sure. And, of course, there were amazing things going on in music and literature and and theater and, and all other, many other, painting, many forms of 20th century culture. In terms of epic narratives that kind of shaped cultural mythology, in terms of commercial advertising and government propaganda, in terms of the way people told their stories personally, the way people understood history, the moving image has been the dominant
0: Right. And that doesn't matter whether that's cinema or television or Netflix in a lot of ways. That's right. That's right. Or YouTube or whatever.
1: Video. But what's happened to media with the advent of computers is that We've moved from an age of information, which is about kind of streaming uh, media, whether it's a publishing company of experts handing you an encyclopedia, Mm -hmm. or whether it's an auteur filmmaker handing you a feature-length film. We've moved from that model to a more participatory model. Mm -hmm. And I would say that information has been put at play with this sort of ludic turn in both technology and culture and society
0: ludic for audience means playful
1: that's right right. ludic is a sort of latin word ludus is a latin word for play so there's been kind of a ludic turn as we pivot into the 21st century and so what that means is that uh, media is becoming more modular more participatory more systemic and it it doesn't mean that everything is a game but it means that things are more game like because when we look at Games, ancient games, again, like sports, like parlor games, like board games, those games already embodied those qualities of being systems, interactive systems that we play yeah, with. Excellent. So board games and card games and sports already have this kind of deep sophistication. Right. There are these there are these places of infinite possibility where we tell stories with each other, where we problem solve, where we interact with each other socially. So... They are an ancient model for understanding what's happening in our culture now. So when I call it a ludic turn, I don't mean that games will be dominant or games will be everything. But games for me, especially because I'm a game designer, are a wonderful lens for looking at and understanding the way that things are evolving in in our 21st century. Well,
0: and I think maybe the thing that we also seen is we've seen a renaissance in board games That's because right. it's easy for people to do that. We've seen the, you know the things like the escape room which is a right. n- in a way it's a kind of new form. Although my friend also said it's connected to the mystery nights where you could go and find out who did the murder. It's sort of in that yes. tradition of 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 real world sort of things. But we are we're still it's not like all about computer games, it's not all about no, interactivity with machines.
1: You're absolutely right. And and so what's interesting is that if you look at computer games, because of digital technology, computer games were single player for a number of decades. Although you could you could argue that even well, single Pong, player games aren't single right, player, right. which Pong is a beautiful was thing. Not the the Atari Combat which was the, the the game that came with the Atari console was actually a two player game. So there's many wonderful examples of multiplayer games including early networked multiplayer games along the lines of what you experienced, but for a few decades, single-player games were dominant. Sure. But what we find now is that multiplayer games on and off the computer are returning play to its roots as, as a social experience. So, Call so of that they, Duty, that's that sort of right. thing. On that's the, on... right, but Call of Duty, but also um, but also Farmville, but also right. Minecraft, right? right? Oh, um, Minecraft, absolutely. Yeah, many ways of creating and sharing. And for me, Minecraft, it's like the, you know, Wikipedia of games or something. Wikipedia is what's happened to the encyclopedia set handed down by the experts, right. right? That we're now in a space that is fuzzy and participatory, a very human space, a space where there are rules for what you do and how you police yourself and how you edit other people's papers, but it's not a model of transmission of information from on high. Right. It's a model of a sort of a pyramid or a community of users, many of whom are just accessing information, but there's a gray line between the creators and the producers of the media itself, which is a which is a hallmark of this kind of participatory media or ludic turn that we're talking about.
0: So what's really interesting, so two years ago I was some. Um Uh, Judging a contest, it's all a bunch of sort of 10- and 11-year-olds, so year five and year six. And they all have these little IT projects, and they're all showing them off. And this group of kids, they were really into Minecraft, and they liked to mod Minecraft. And they knew that kids didn't really know, because you have to learn a programming language called Java to be able to mod Minecraft. Mm -hmm. And so what they did was they actually designed a little course that was designed for kids so that kids can learn how to make their other Minecraft mods. So it was taking this ludic play and saying, right. yes, you can do so much within the set of tools they give you, right. now we're going to teach you everything you need to know so you can make all of the tools that you want. Right. And then it becomes this open canvas. And that, t- to bring that back, that's kind of where, like I don't play a lot of computer games because for me, playing with the computer writing a program getting the computer to do something right. new that's the toy for me and right. it's like it's almost like they'd gone to the same place but there's that idea that that ludic idea that you can go in there and you can right. play and you can toy and you can create
1: and I think that when you talk about people returning to board games and escape rooms, it is people hungry for these participatory experiences. So you're right. Board games are are in a renaissance period now. There's board game cafes popping up all over the world. The board game industry slumped for a little while, and in the last 20 years or so, has been very much on the rise again in terms of economically, um, and and people making new kinds of games and and crowdfunding games on Kickstarter, et cetera, et cetera. Games are actually, games are actually the most by actually by a wide margin. They're the most lucrative in terms of money received category on Kickstarter, and board games are actually doing much better than video games on Kickstarter in an interesting way. So in terms of that immediate connection with creators and and players, uh, people are drawn to to tabletop games because it's face-to-face interaction.
0: We're having a nice chat about play with Eric Zimmerman. You're listening to The Next Billion Seconds. We will be right back. And we're back talking to games and play expert Eric Zimmerman. Okay, so we now know the state of play right now, right? To, to coin upon, we know the state of play right now, where things are right now. How do you see this actually unfolding over the next billion seconds, over the next 30 years? How is, how is that ludic century going to really start to express itself?
1: Well... If we look and we compare to where we were 10 or 20 years ago, in terms of the ways that people work, the way that they learn, the way that they communicate, the way that they flirt and socialize and romance, the way that they conduct their finances and connect with their governments, all of these fairly fundamental aspects of our lives are mediated by digital networks of information. So that's why the fact that there's this... Return to forms of media that are more participatory and systemic is both cause and effect of this set of phenomena that's happening.
0: Because we can do it, because all of the the worlds were now wired this way.
1: That's right. So the so the game like term in culture where people are expecting their. Rooms to be escape rooms, right? They're expecting their TV to be interactive. I mean, if you look at a children whose child who's like under four years old, if you show them a television screen, they will start touching it, right?
0: Well, and they'll say it's broken because they can't stop it or rewind or whatever.
1: Right. So people are expecting their media more and more to be participatory. Um, what does that mean for the future? I'm not sure. You're the futurist. I'm I'm just a game <laughs> designer. But <laughs> but I think that. Um, I mean, I think that it's good and bad. I think there's some good things about play. I think play is a wonderful paradigm for change. It's a wonderful paradigm for kind of critical thinking because to play with something means to question it. So when we talk about, for example, um, a child being playful, what do we mean? Well, there's a normal way to walk down the street, which is like, first of all, utilitarian. I go from point A to point B. A playful one might be, Walking, taking a detour. But even more than that, a playful way of walking might be walking backwards or, or skipping, skipping or avoiding cracks, right? Yep. Inventing ways to play with the normal structure of walking just for its own sake, just to see what the possibilities are, right? So play always plays with some existing structure. You're not just playing on your own. Right. You're taking something, you're taking a conversation, you're taking language, you're taking walking, you're taking a social relationship, you're taking a means of production, and you're playing with it. That that's what playing is. Playing is to play with something. It's to find the interstitial spaces. You know, when we in it's, English, re- it's
0: always relational, because there's always something or someone that's that right. you're playing with. Think
1: about how we use the word play in English to mean like the play of gears or the play of a steering wheel, yeah. right? It's that little bit of wiggle room in the system. So, um, for example, that that play of a steering wheel in a car, it's only there because there's a more utilitarian structure. There's a steering wheel and a drive shaft and an axle and tires and that's there to turn. You turn the wheel and you, you turn the car. You can't see me right now, but I'm doing a really bad mime imitation of driving a car. But that little wiggle room in the steering wheel, that is the interstitial space. That is the space of play where the system isn't quite just functioning in a utilitarian manner right, right. right but it is only there because of the more logical utilitarian structure and system so so to be playful or to play with something is to find those moments of wiggle room and for me that's a wonderful model of creativity and innovation mm. and even social change because there's no reason why we can't look at our existing governmental structures mm. and social structures and say how can we play with them what are the what are the spaces what are those little interstitial moments of wiggle room where we can kind of get a playful wedge in there and try and affect uh, social change.
0: So we also have this concept um, that listeners may have heard of called gamification, right? Yes. Which is Which is where you take, say, but, well, let's say you want moms to get their kids immunized. And in fact, I know friends who actually right. developed a little mobile app uh-huh. that made it so that, you know, women would sort of know when their babies needed their shots, but also right. would give them sort of little rewards. They would they would produce right. a sort of reward structure right. around that. and And that seems like it's a good thing but then and but and, but, but but well and, and as you know I've written about this a poker machine is the same deal right in Australia we have a big problem with people being addicted to poker machines because right. they're really geared to the way your reward system works right they reward right. that reward system so that you're putting more money into the poker machine that's
1: right well let's talk about gamification and I'm I'll just be flat out for me gamification is generally not a positive thing Right, which may, maybe that's not surprising. Is that because it's trying to get you designer. to do something
0: you wouldn't do on your own? Is it depriving you of your of your agency? Well, or? it's because
1: gamification, generally, means strip mining superficial aspects of games. Right, okay. points, rewards, yeah. the kind of behaviorist psychology aspects of games, and leaving behind the soul of games, the kind of deep playful, a, yeah, the kind of deep playful innovation. Yeah. So, part of it is. Every design, I'm a designer, and, you know, every game that's designed, every chair that's designed, every urban plan that's designed implies a sort of model of what it means to be human in the design, right? Right. Well, so, are,
0: there are assumptions that are baked in
1: right, about ex- the way you're going to exactly. behave and
0: approach and all that.
1: So if your idea of designing a casino machine or a mobile app for behavior change or for social change is a Skinner box, where your model of a human is a rat being given <laughs> rewards or punishments. For
0: pressing the bar.
1: That's right. Then then that's a very impoverished idea of your audience and what it means to be human. Does it, it
0: impoverish so, the audience? audiences playing that game?
1: Well, you can have short-term benefits from behavioral modification, and there's no doubt about that. So if what you want to do is an assessment and do research, you can manipulate people into changing their behavior. But there's other behaviorists who have written about this idea of being punished by rewards. So for example, if you have a kid, Mm. and you want to reward them for cleaning up their room, right? Um, if you start rewarding them for cleaning up the room, the danger is that they will then only clean up the room if they get a reward. Nice. They don't learn the intrinsic positive value of having a clean room. In fact, it's sort of the opposite. They learn that the standard is to have a dirty room and they'll expect a reward for cleaning it as a special case. So you can actually inculcate or educate the opposite of what you're trying to do in terms of deep and lasting change, in terms of people learning uh, values and And deeper ideas than just a kind of a a manipulation of their service behavior. So that's the problem often with gamification, that it's really about human manipulation that implies a very shallow and impoverished idea of what it means to be human. So I
0: just want to bring this up. So Mary Poppins, which is one of my favorite films, when she's working with the kids to clean the room, she turns it into play right right, and it's it's not interesting yeah. it's not reward there was no reward because she wasn't about that good she,
1: extension of my example yeah
0: but, she, but well but it just it's very front of mind because i'm thinking right. you know what can you tell people who have kids who won't clean their rooms right? right you don't want them to get into what effectively becomes a bribery model right right you don't want you actually you don't want to go down that path
1: it's in there's a lot of that it's also a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down to mary poppins too that's interesting as well because as game designers we're always i mean reward and punishment is, is our stock and trade you know, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) But that's why it's interesting. And also this its kind of this whole conversation brings us to kind of the darker side of of this sort of ludic century idea. So
0: so what is this darker side?
1: Well, I mean, we're now living in a uh, world that's defined by systems and those systems can be gamed. Right. Yes. So whether you're looking at things like, I don't know, identity theft yeah. or here in the United States about the ways that that foreign governments can manipulate people's thinking through social media yeah. um, or really just the rise of kind of, uh, you know, journalism without journalistic ethics because it's well, non-journalists doing it. Right. So
0: and clickbait journalism. Exactly. And all that. Right.
1: So all of the thinking that can go into creating playful experiences, like your example of of kids becoming educators in Minecraft, can also be flipped on its end. And so we can end up with a very sort of dark experience of people sort of adrift in this ocean of information and subject to manipulation by other people, right? So that's why, you know, it's both sides of the coin. It's neither, it's like everything. I mean, this idea of play, Mm. it's like language or it's like you know saying here's a you know a books or a pencil and paper it's not that books make things better it's really what you're writing in them right who has access to them who's reading them in what context how is that knowledge of information being shared how are people able to be critical of what they're reading so computers are not good and bad play is not good or bad um although hopefully it's mostly good <laughs> if i'm doing it for a living but 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 in general, this idea of the ludic century, the idea of us living in a universe of systems, digital networks of information, it's not good or bad. But in some sense, the, 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 the stakes have been upped, right, to continue the gambling metaphors of our conversation, right? I mean, it's, there's more at stake today.
0: Okay, so if we, and we do live in all of these systems, and these systems have their own goals, and sometimes those goals aren't transparent, and quite often what people will do. And in fact, it's interesting because I was talking to Andy Pauline on an earlier episode, and he does say that sometimes he'll feed the devices information that isn't correct or the information that's incomplete, right. so that he can expose. how they work, how they game. So he uses that wiggle room, right? Right. He's sort of, I mean, I think sometimes he actually just out and out lies when he's filling in a form for Amazon or for whatever because he wants to see how that comes back or how that's reflected, right? So he's playing with those systems himself. So there's that that idea that play can be used against, but play can also be used as a bit of an X-ray almost, right? I think
1: so. And so what you are coming to, I think, with that idea is literacy
0: Mm. to me, so, so how do we get literate about this, these games in this world and play in the world?
1: Well, I think that it's more that literacy, systems literacy, or p- some people call it computational literacy, I sometimes call it gaming literacy, mm. it's part of what it means to be literate and critical and kind of successful in the world today. Right. So that liter- liter- what is literacy? I'm not a literacy scholar, but I am friends with some, uh, and they tell me that literacy just means creating and understanding meaning. So that's how, if I write a word on a piece of paper and show it to you and you can read it, that's an act of... Creating and understanding meaning. So that's all literacy really is. It's about meaning, meaning creation. Now, in the last several decades, literacy has extended from sort of traditional oral and written literacy to visual literacy, technological literacy. And I would argue here in the 21st century, and I'm not the only one, this is part of the United Nations 21st century literacy skills, um, is this idea of being literate in systems and computation, programmatic thinking, algorithmic algorithmic thinking. thinking. Right. So what does that mean? if you look at what's happened in the United States in terms of electoral districts, right? Right. So software, and also software kinds of thinking has made it so that it's no longer kind of a system with checks and balances. You can draw electoral districts. OK, they might be abused a little bit, mm. but other parts of the government will rein it in. New. No. Yeah. Now, now you have a... Pop-
0: just all the Democratic voters right. here, just all the Republican voters there. Well, you
1: have both b- cracking and packing, yeah. it's called. But yes, exactly. A manip- manipulation so that you can have a wide disparity between the number of votes cast for yeah. a party and the number of... Seats. Of seats, and if you look at the United States uh, House of Representatives, yeah. um, the, there's the Republicans sh- by some measure should not even have a majority there, right. but they have a large majority in in large part because of gerrymandering, as we call it in the United States, electoral districts. So that is so both, that's a kind of play. But that that's is the a bad kind, of, kind of, play. of play. Well, that is that's both the symptom and all, but also the seeds of the cure right. because that kind of thinking. Um, It's just that people are gaming the system, Mm -hmm. so they're acting like game players Mm -hmm. and they're looking for all of the exploits and they want to figure out how to manipulate the system to their ends, but they're losing sense of the deeper values of what a democracy is, right? right? Um, And so I think that 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 represents, yeah, the negative side of game-like thinking, but I also think the seeds for the literacies required to understand why that could happen um are also the same kind of thinking right it's the same kind of thinking it's just a different sort of motivation and trying to figure out well how can we understand the system how can we be critical about it how can we explain it to others and how can we redesign it so one of the things that excites me about play as a sort of this ludic turn is that i think that games as opposed to other forms of media make their audience behave more like creators and here's what i mean 20th century, we talked about being about film and the moving image. Now, you can be a film buff, Mm. a film fan, a film connoisseur, uh, know a lot of directors and actors and memorize scripts, right? But you don't necessarily know about the 180-degree rule. Right. Which is, if you're filming two people, you want to keep cameras on one side of them. So that when you're going back and forth between the two people, they, they're they not flipping sides on the screen, right? So that makes sense when you explain it. But you don't really need to know anything like that, those kind of structural underpinnings of film, in order to really appreciate film. Right. But if you're going to become a basketball superstar or a League of Legends eSports player or even a, a, a poker card shark you actually have to start opening up the hood of the game and seeing how it works. You have to start reverse engineering the very structure of the thing itself. Right. So that I would argue that... You have that to find the wiggle room. You do. And you, as, as a player, as an expert player, you actually have to start thinking the way the designers thought mm-hmm. about and the developers thought about when they were creating the system.
0: So, so the that's, nature of play, it's what you're saying, it yes. forces you to be literate because otherwise right. you're going to suck at the game. Right.
1: Well, at least that's my optimism yeah. uh, and thinking about, you know, that the I believe that the... The seeds for solving these big, complicated problems that we have today that in part are coming out of the technologies that you're so fascinated in and that you're exploring this great podcast series, hopefully are also in... The solutions for that, the seeds for the solutions of those problems are, are, are also in the technologies and ways of thinking themselves.
0: All right. I want to close with one question, which is something we've covered a little bit in previous episodes. So we just had uh, AlphaGo Zero, which is now by far the best Go player that has ever existed, right? It's better than AlphaGo, and they trained it in 20 days or whatever. And it was, it, you know, we've gotten computers so good at what we think of as play. Right. And it used to be that everyone would think, oh, we'll never get a computer to do that. By the time we get a computer to do that, it will be so Smart we used to think the same thing about chess. Right. Does it matter? And we we still can't do poker. Like a, so a computer can play a single person with poker. As soon as there's more than one person, it's too hard because a computer can't deal with multiple players bluffing. And right. And poker is a game of lying. Right. That is. That's right. That's the rule for poker. Is you lie as best you can. And computers are still completely at sea with that. Does it matter that these systems that we're building, these digital systems, can beat us at our own games?
1: Well, it's a really interesting example that you talk about because there are classic games of strategy Mm -hmm. that are called in game designer lingo, uh, they're games of perfect information because there's nothing hidden from each other. In poker, I have a hand of cards. You don't know what's in my hand. But in chess, you and I both see the board. And in Go, there's nothing hidden from us. So we can just start brute forcing those calculations. You can't with Go. Yeah, but in in the end, you can apply mathematical thinking to chess or Go or a classic strategy game. And yes, for those forms of play, it may be a huge super brain that is the same size as the universe. But you could look at every possible game that could ever be played and solve it as a math problem. But luckily, play comes in many, many forms. So when you think about poker, when right. you think about, there's a wonderful genre of games that are sometimes called mafia or werewolf that right. are about hidden roles and they, there's, you know, there's less numbers and it's all about social bluffing. Right. Um, there are games like charades that are really about acting yep. and of course there's all kinds of sports which are about physical ability and communication. So there's, there's play, the word to me, game or play, it's like the word image. So when people say, "Oh well, you know, our game solved, or computers going to beat us at all games," I don't, you know, I don't. To me, the the there's such a v- huge universe of different kinds of games that we might conceive of and play and make. We will find plenty of ways of playing with ourselves. And guess what? Even if a computer can beat us, their cars can drive faster than humans can run. Yeah. That hasn't stopped us from uh, running foot races still. And right? it
0: probably means that we're going to continue to find the wiggle room that allows us to create even more games and even more interesting games that maybe the computers won't be good at, at least not for a while.
1: I like that idea.
0: All right, Eric Zimmerman, it has been a true pleasure to have you on the next Billion Seconds. Oh,
1: Mark, the pleasure has been all mine. Thank you so much.
0: So we've talked a lot about play. I think the one thing that may be clear from this conversation with Eric is the importance of play as part of what we do. And it's something you need to do. It's something your kids need to do. You need to think about the play in your life, the wiggle room that you can find in the things that you're doing that help you explore, understand, experiment, get joy from, get frustrated with, but just have that deeper level of experience in finding the wiggle room in all of the world around us. If you'd like to read Eric and Katie Salen Tekkenbosch's amazing books on games and play, you can find them on Amazon. We'll link to them too, so look for them on our website. Did all this talk about play get you thinking? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Drop by our LinkedIn page, send us a message on Twitter, tell us what you want to know about the future, and we'll do our best to bring it to you on a future episode. Now, in the next episode of The Next Billion Seconds, we'll be talking to robotics legend Ken Goldberg about what happens after the robots have learned enough to put us all out of work. That's the next time on The Next Billion Seconds. The Next Billion Seconds is recorded for Podcast One. Recording and production assistance is provided by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Nick Slater. Music by Kirk Godfrey. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or the Podcast One app. This is Mark Pesci, thanking you for listening. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra.